Amen. It's good to worship the Lord, but why don't you take your Bibles and uh, let's go with me to the book of Acts. We are in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 14, and if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming around right now. Uh, you can just get their attention. We want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you, or you can follow along with us on the Bible app. We are in the book of Acts, and today uh, we're finishing up this series that we've called Love Christ, Live Sent. But this is really uh, the, the, the theme for our year. This is what we are pursuing. We want you to be growing in your love for Christ and your, uh, uh, your fruitfulness and effectiveness at living sent right where God has you. And so we have been... Uh, looking at the six distinctives of a worshiping and sending church. These are the things that we are committed to pursuing together at Harvest. I've got these for you on the screen. This is what we've already looked at. Uh, Passionate worship, bold preaching, fervent prayer, courageous evangelism. Last week we looked at purposeful disciple making, hoping that you've been thinking about how does God want you to help make disciples, not only evangelizing and sharing the gospel to see new believers come to Christ, but then uh, people who are already trusted in Christ for salvation, helping them follow Jesus better. You can be a part of that. And today, uh, we're finishing up here with strategic church planting. Strategic church planting. And so um, I I have been impacted by uh, John Piper's um, thoughts on this. He, He said it this way. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Now think about that. Once Christ has done a work in my heart, I want to worship Him. And then I'd love to see other people come to worship Him too. And so when I look around and I see people that don't, and they're running after worthless things, and and they're worshiping other gods, and I know that's not going to work, that's not going to bring satisfaction, I am compelled, I want to see those people come to worship Christ too, because the vertical worship of our God propels the horizontal advancement of the mission. And the mission for us at our church is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. The Great Commission, Jesus says, is to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's what we're getting after. And uh, here's, here, here's the way this works. I think it would be really helpful for us to take a look at the early church and learn from them. These are the guys that were following Jesus. They heard the Great Commission, and, and, and they're trying to figure out how do we get after that. And God has given us uh, their, their example to follow here in the book of Acts, okay? So I think it's uh, what we're going to see today is, is really normative for the Christian life. We want to do the same thing. How did the early church get after the Great Commission? And uh, I want to give you a big idea from Acts chapter 14. Here's what we're going to see, and I want to try to prove this to you today in the Scripture. Planting churches is God's strategy for fulfilling the Great Commission. Planting churches is God's strategy for fulfilling this. And so we want to look at this, like, why do we do this? How do we do this? What's, what's really our strategy for it? And, and, and then I'm hoping to really show you what, 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 what's my role. What am I supposed to do about strategic church planting? And so let's look at this, Acts chapter 14. If you're there with me, I'm going to start reading in verse 19, all right? Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 19. Here's what it says. Uh, the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But um, when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up 
And he entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Father, I'm praying uh, right now that you would speak to us, and, and, and we love getting after this mission together, and, and it's such a special thing that you would allow us to be a part of this, and so I'm, I'm praying that you would uh, bring clarity to us today, that we would see how the early church was getting after this, and, and that would be inspirational and encouraging and, and even informative of how we can get after this together. I pray that you would uh, prove that to us, prove that, uh, again, it's you who are building your church, and that we can trust you in that. And Lord, I pray um, as we get excited about getting after this mission together that you would also bring clarity for uh, what does that mean for me? What, 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 are, what are we supposed to do about this? And um, we want to be submissive to you, and we want to pray expecting you to do incredible things beyond what we would ask or imagine uh, so that you get the glory in all of it. So I pray that you would speak to us right now, and we will submit to your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, what I want to show you in Acts chapter 14 is, is this is uh, a really crucial passage of Scripture for us to understand as we go about carrying out the Great Commission. And I think what we're going to see is Paul has a threefold strategy for planting churches in order to fulfill the Great Commission. Okay? I want you to see this. This is going to be helpful for us. There are three elements to the strategy. Here's the first one. Ready? Preach. The gospel. It's kind of shocking, right? Preach the gospel. That's what we see him doing right here in verse 19. Verse 19, here's the setting. Paul is in the city of Lystra, uh, but it says that these Jews, verse 19, these Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. So these are the cities where Paul had just come from, where he was preaching the gospel in Acts chapter 13 and the beginning of Acts chapter 14. And now these Jews catch up to him, and they are angry. These guys are ticked off, okay? And so just so that you get the back backstory of what's happening here, uh, he, he just came from Antioch and Iconium. So let me show you what happened there. Uh, I've got it for you on the screen. Acts chapter 13. Uh, here's what happened first in Antioch and Pisidia. Acts chapter 13 says that the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. That sounds kind of good, right? Um, that, that's, that's, a, that's an awesome, fruitful ministry that's happening as they're preaching the word. It's taking off in here. But, but uh, the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. So they're kind of ticked off already. They don't like this message, and I love how Paul and Barnabas respond. It says they, they, they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. Like, all right, all right, we'll just take this to the next city. And, and, and here's what happens when they get to Iconium. Acts chapter 14, uh, listen to this. Uh, when they got to Iconium, a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. It's happening again. I mean, everywhere they go, they're preaching the gospel, and people are believing, but... but the unbelieving Jews 
stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews to mistreat them and to stone them. And when they learned of it, they fled to Lystra. So these Jews don't like this message that there's a Messiah and his name is Jesus. And they're really ticked off about the fact that all sorts of people are hearing this and believing. So they're so fired up that they're going to follow Paul and they're going to travel for miles and catch up with him in the city of Lystra. And here's what happens when they get there, verse 19. Um, They persuaded the crowds and they stoned Paul and, and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he's dead. I mean, at this point in their minds, it's over. We got him. We got rid of that like fanatic who's, who's spreading this message about Jesus, and, and we put an end to this whole this church thing, and get rid of all that Jesus talk. It's over. Well, that's kind of far from the truth, admit. Verse, verse 20, look, look what happens when, when the disciples um, gathered about him. Now, just, just for a minute, put yourself in, 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 in their shoes. What must that have been like if you just came to Christ? You're like a new believer. You just heard this, and, and now you see the guy who shared this message with you laying there on the ground, like bloody, like it's pretty obvious he's done. I don't think they gathered around him to lay hands on him like they thought he was going to be. I think they gathered around him to mourn, and, and, and some of them got to be confused and scared, like is, is this really worth it? But what, what happens next? Look at, look at verse 20. It says, um, after these disciples had gathered about him, he rose up. That had to be kind of shocking at this moment. And it says, it says that he entered the city, and on the next day, he went on to another city, uh, Derby. And I just got to help you understand, this is really miraculous, okay? Uh, last weekend, on Sunday night, we had a bunch of dudes out in the woods, and, uh, and, and we got out into a field and played an incredible game of football. It was awesome. It was pretty intense, and I had a ton of fun. But I'm telling you, Carissa had to be so annoyed at me on Monday because I was moaning and groaning. I was in so much pain. I, had, I, I realized I had muscles I'd completely forgotten I had. And, and this is kind of embarrassing for me to share, except I, don't, I, I heard I'm not the only one that was in pain. There was a couple of, yes, I see you're nodding your heads. Okay, so I just want you to think of that in that moment, all right? The next day, I could barely walk. What does Paul do on the next day? Uh, it says that he went on to the city of Derby. Just remember, Paul just got stoned, okay? And not like picking up little pebbles to annoy him. Like they're picking up rocks, trying to crush his head, and, and they think he is. It's kind of a traumatic experience for him. But for him, he just gets up. And let me show this to you, okay? I've got a map. I want, I want you to see this just so that you can appreciate what's happening. Uh, way up here, this is Antioch in Pisidia, and he comes to Iconium. He's in Lystra. Here's where it happens. He gets stoned in Lystra, and the next day he travels over 50 miles to Derby. I'm just telling you, the next day after playing football, I couldn't even walk, and we, were, we, were, we weren't even playing tackle. We were just playing two-hand touch. This guy got stoned. Can you just imagine what that would have done for these new believers to watch that? Like, there is nothing that's going to stop this guy from just preaching the gospel. I think about, like, why, why, why move to, a, why keep going to another city? I mean, you you already got something sweet going right here. I mean, you could, you could have a pretty sweet church right here. I mean, you, you could build a mega church. You'd, they tried to kill you, and it didn't work. Like, why move on now? Like, you could have a whole bunch of people get a, get a great ministry going. Why does Paul 
go on to another city. Why? It's because the people in that city have never heard the gospel yet. So the first strategy in planting churches is to go preach the gospel to what I'm going to call unreached people groups. Unreached people groups are the people that they don't have a gospel witness there. There's not an indigenous community of believers that can start a church. They don't have it there. And so Paul is getting after, we've got to take the gospel out. In fact, just look at this, look at this map just so, you, just so you see what's happening here. This all started in this Antioch in Syria. This is Paul's first missionary journey, and he takes off, and he goes down to Cyprus here. He goes all the way up to Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, and every time he goes into one of these new cities, the first place he goes is to the synagogue because he's trying to reach the Jews, and he's like, I've got, an, I've got a message for you. Your Messiah has come, and when he goes into these cities, the Jews reject him, and so here's what he says in Acts chapter 13. He's like, guys, I tried to come to you, but since you thrust aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, this is a massive shift in the scripture. He says, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. That was actually God's plan all along, that this wasn't just going to stay right there in Israel for the Jews, that it was going to spread throughout the world. Paul goes to unreached people groups. In fact, uh, let, let me show you what he says here in Romans chapter 15. I've got this for you on the screen. Romans 15, 20, Paul says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. What he's saying is, I want to reach this group that, that, that they've never been reached with the gospel before. I want to get a work started here. And once the work is started, I'm already looking at what's next. I, there's, there's more unreached people groups. Who's next? Where do we got to go next? We're going to prioritize unreached people groups. And I want to help you understand that, uh, that prioritizing unreached people groups is built in to the Great Commission. Because here's what Jesus says in the Great Commission, Matthew 28. He says, go therefore and make disciples of who? All nations. Mark chapter 16, he says, go into all the world. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. Revelation chapter 5, we get this awesome picture of worship that's going on. It says, uh, it's by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. It is God's intention to reach every single people group. And the vision is, is one day gathered around the throne of God are, are, are these believers worshiping him from every people group on earth. So, so I, I need to help you understand that there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. And the example that we have right here is for us that we need to prioritize going to the unreached people groups. Maybe, maybe we've not put a lot of thought into what the, what the need really is, and so let me help you with that. Um, Wycliffe Bible translators, they have estimated that there are about 160 million people who have no access to any scripture in their heart language. There are, get this, 1.5 billion people without a full Bible 
in their first language. It's hard for us to imagine because we can just go pick them up wherever. We want. I, I can send you uh, scripture in an app and, and, and have it in your pocket and right, right now. But 1.5 billion people don't have a full Bible in their language. I've, I've told you I've, we, we have uh, cousins, Kendra and Logan, who are right now in Indonesia working with the tribe. They moved their entire family over there, and they're just spending time with these people, getting to know them, learning their language. And this language has got to be, like, written out so that they can try to translate the Bible. But the greater problem is even people who do have a Bible in their first language, there are places all around the world where it's virtually impossible for them to get their hands on one. The Southern Baptist uh, International Mission Board has done a lot of um, research on this, and they estimate that there are over 7,000 unreached people groups in the world today. That represents 4 billion people that are unreached with the gospel. Now, a lot of those are, um, uh, about 230 million of those um, are completely unengaged. Most of those, um, what we would say, we're trying. There's a strategy. But there's still a lot that are completely unengaged. There's no strategy. There's no current plan right now to reach them with the gospel. I want to encourage you. I want to show you this map. This is something that, that uh, IMB has put together. I think this is really helpful. You can kind of see the green there. That's places that, that previously had been unreached. It's not anymore. Praise God. All the orange there and red scattered throughout, uh, those are places that it's engaged. Like we're trying. We've got a strategy. There's a plan, but uh, it's still unreached. And as you look at that, I, I just want you to consider for a moment, this is one of the things that gets us fired up because uh, we have a very strategic partner, and, and, and this is why this is so important. Uh, right about here is a church uh, called Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, and uh, we support them and are so fired up. We want that to become kind of a beachhead or a doorway into the rest of Asia. We want to partner with a strong church that can help us reach into this needed area. It's a strategic city. And I just want you to uh, notice in the scripture what's happening with Paul is Paul's going to strategic cities. He, 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 his primary target is the city in that region. He doesn't, he's not ignoring the villages and, and the countryside, but, but he's prioritizing these cities. i got to get to the cities. Why? There's a number of reasons for that. One, cities are where the people gather. And so when he goes into the city of Lystra, there's all these people that he sees worshiping these vain things, and he stands up and he has this platform to just boldly tell them to turn to the living God. He has an opportunity to reach more people when he goes into the city. And then cities form the environment for a local church to gather because it's where more people live close together. And cities have an incredibly wide impact because that's where, that's where really culture starts to form, and it's where culture flows out to influence the surrounding region. And so as we think about where we're at, cities, strategic cities can help us get to the unreached people groups that are harder to reach because they're out in remote villages or, or, or in rural areas. 
And, and today, uh, there's something that's going on right now uh, that I think God could use if, if we see it and get after it. Uh, it's called the urbanization of the world's population. This is well documented. In fact, um, the United Nations just put out a report back in May uh, that tells us that over 55% of the world's population right now are living in urban areas. Over half the world right now are already, not, not rural, not suburban, but urban areas. And that's just going to continue to increase. They're saying by 2050, um, it's expected to increase to 68%, meaning uh, we could add 2.5 billion people to urban areas, and most of that is going to happen in Asia and in Africa. My point is this. The cities are going to continue to grow and maintain a massive impact on the world. And so Paul was prioritizing these strategic cities, and I think that this needs to be a major emphasis in our church planting efforts. Man, we've got to go to the strategic cities. And so as our elders and I, we, we've been sitting around, and how do, we, how do we strategize? Where are we going? Where are we investing? What do we want to do? Where do we want to go? And, and we've really thought of there, there are three areas, okay? And, and it's not that we don't do anything else, but these are the things that we're, we, we are primarily going to target. The first is right here. You think about Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia. I mean, come on, what a strategic area this is and the impact that this community has, not only on our nation, but around the world. And if we could reach this place. And then we think about uh, the East Coast. And we're partnering with the Great Commission Collective with other churches, especially right here on the East Coast. There's some awesome cities that we've got to get to, Baltimore and Philly and New York and Boston, some of these major cities with major impact. And, and we want to prioritize and figure out how can we get more churches planted here. There are so many people that need to be reached in our cities. And then I don't think that this is any surprise that, that Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia is such a strategic location for us as we think about the unreached people that are are there in Asia. And I got to tell you, as we go, as we go to these cities, don't be surprised by the opposition. This is not the Bible Belt. And this is full of people that hate Christ and they hate the, the values of Christ's kingdom. And so when you go into these cities, what happens? Verse 19, uh, Paul goes into the city of Lystra and they stoned him. And dragged him out of the city. And at that moment, I mean, he probably could have, should have uh, called it quits. And nobody would have said anything. It would have been okay with, like, I get it, man. Like, it's time for you to retire. You did great. We'll make a video and, and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll celebrate what God has done in your life. But that's not what he does. What, 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 what does he do? Verse 20. It says, uh, after they gathered together, he rose up. Do you see this? He rose up and what? He entered the city. He went right back in. That's crazy. They just tried to kill you. Why are you going there? That takes courageous evangelism. He is not afraid to go in. The urgency of reaching the lost before it's too late compels us to go, even in the face of opposition, knowing these people need to hear the gospel. We need to reach them. We know it's going to be hard, but somebody's got to go. And so as we are planting churches, our churches need to have that courageous, unceasing uh, evangelism to these lost people. I want to help you understand, we're not planting churches for church people. The goal is not to go in somewhere and, and we're going to steal a couple of sheep from this church and steal a couple of sheep from this church and we're just going to boost our numbers and feel better about ourselves. 
Like if there's only one pie of Christians in this area, our goal is not to go in and get the biggest slice of pie that we can uh, of the Christians in that area. J.D. Greer has really been challenging my thoughts on this. We need to grow the pie. We've got to get out and share the gospel with these people. And and this is actually why um, church planting is actually really strategic to this because uh, statistically, new churches actually help reach more new people. We're trying to reach the lost, and and we're purposefully going into the enemy territory knowing we're going to be met with resistance, but also having the confidence that Jesus said he is building his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that gets me fired up. We're going to get after this together. But I know, like, you're, you're sitting there kind of wondering, okay, we do this together, but what, what, what does that mean for me? What am I supposed to do? What is my role in, in this? I got three things for you, okay? Three things that I want to encourage you to do. These are your takeaways. Um, here it is. Pray, give, and go. Pray, give, and go. Pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest needs to transform my prayer life. And so we're going to be praying together as a church. You've noticed that over the last couple of months, once a month, we right here in our worship services, we have a global partners spotlight. We're just trying to highlight one of our partners around the world, whether it's in KL or Annapolis or Lancaster or Ashburn. We are going to gather together. And I know it might feel awkward on a Sunday morning to have to pray with somebody out loud, but we believe in the power of prayer and the urgency of the need is compelling us to get after this. And we're going to be obedient to what Christ says. We're going to pray together. But you can also do this on your own. You can be uh, changing your prayer list, putting some of these people on your prayer list, some of these names. In fact, I've got uh, uh, Nate and Marie Newell from Kuala Lumpur gave us their missionary card. It's right out in the lobby. You can grab one of those, stick it on your fridge, put it on your dashboard. Not, not that you would be you know, like reading it while you're you know, driving, but you can be praying for that, right? And putting, putting people groups, putting places on your prayer list and say, God, would you do a work there? We need to be praying. We also need to give. And the New Testament instructs us to give generously and cheerfully. We get to be a part of this. We get to invest in what God is doing. And I want to encourage you, you need to know this, that that when you are giving to the work here at Harvest Fairfax, we have committed that 5% of our budget is going right out the door to church planting. And our goal is that 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 percentage would continue to increase. Because as we're just thinking about it, we're on mission here. And so we want to be investing as as you are giving, as God's people are giving generously. We want to give. We want to be investing in what God is doing here in D.C. and Northern Virginia and around the world. We get to be a part of this together. So pray and give and you can go. Not just just praying for somebody else to go, but but you can go and, and, and I got to tell you, this is, uh, here's, here's how you do this. This is, this is really why we um, have get, are getting after this Love Christ Live Sent initiative this year, because I want you to learn how to live sent here. God has you here for a reason. And these are the things that we get after together as a church. And, and, and I know so many of you are doing this, but I just got to brag on my small group a little bit because I was thinking about it, and they, they, it just, like, touched my heart. As I look at some of the people in my group, uh, the, the uh, uh, courageous evangelism, as soon as I think about that, there's, there's one guy that pops into my head. It's Jeff Souders. 
That guy is, I'm telling you, I pick on him because I love him. And he is constantly just, he calls it, I'm just scattering seeds. I'm just trying to scatter seeds, trying to get into conversations with people, help them know that I love Christ and that they need to love Christ. He just got a new job. He's already looking at the opportunities. I can, I can plant some seeds. He's on mission there. Such an encouragement to me. And then beyond just seeing new believers come to Christ, purposeful disciple-making, wanting to see Believers in Christ really grow. We have two Kathys in our small group. I love them dearly. Kathy Vaught, I think about her and some of the ladies that she has in a Bible study in her home during the week, just trying to help them grow in their love for Christ and getting around God's word. And, and Kathy Viranum spends so much time on George Mason campus and, and spending time with uh, these young ladies and trying to help them follow. Jesus. such an encouragement to me that we're getting after these things. That's what it means to go, to live sent here and to serve Christ, to serve the church and to serve the community. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had a couple of our small groups got together. Nobody told me to do this. They just got together and started going out to the Catherine Henley uh, shelter to serve some of the people out there. I love that. Serve here. Just, just consider for a moment, think about this, the nations come here. Whether, whether it's for uh, being a student or working for the government or refugees or the international communities, they come here. And if we reach them here with the gospel, they're going to take it back with them there. So Fairfax can be a really extremely strategic city. Now let's be honest, okay? Listen, listen. I know. I get it. Some of you um, might feel drawn to somewhere else. It might be more comfortable or it's where you came from. It's home. And, and I, I get that. But don't waste your opportunity to reach the lost right here, right now. We want to live sent here. But then you can also um, take short-term missions trips to go there, right? We're committed to trying to get you on the mission field. And so in March of next year, uh, we are planning. I just got off the phone with uh, Nate Newell, and um, it is in the works for us to take a trip to Kuala Lumpur in March. And um, there is an opportunity around the Iranian New Year. Um, he said there's just all sorts of people that come flooding into the city of Kuala Lumpur um, to celebrate Nowruz, this Persian uh, holiday. And, and so uh, we want to take a team. And, and I'm telling you, um, we need your help. So just a few weeks, in, on November 18th, we're going to have an information meeting. And I would, we're, we're, here's the deal. We're going to take a small team. We're not trying to take everybody. That would be awesome, but we don't want to be a burden to them. But we're trying to get a, a small team that could go and engage these people in, in some open-air evangelism. And apparently the opportunities are just endless once we get there. And uh, so if you um, have a love for other cultures, uh, apparently the Persians love to see other people celebrating their holiday, and, and it really just opens them up to get into conversations. So if that's you, we need you. If you speak Farsi or something close to it, uh, we need you. We need your help. If um, you think that your job might move you away someday, uh, God could use this trip to help show you how he could use you through your career to take the gospel to unreached people groups on a platform that, that more traditional missionaries and pastors uh, could never do. 
I, I, you, you, you guys can do some things and go some places that I would never be able to go, and God could use you in that. So I'd want you to consider that, taking some short-term missions trips. But also, I think, I think you do need to consider whether God would have you move your family in order to reach unreached people groups. I, that, like, pains me. I don't want to lose you. I love you. But what a sweet thing it would be if we could send you out as a family, seeing the need, seeing the opportunities that God might afford you. Someone has to go. you got to preach the gospel, okay? But that's the first strategy. Here's the second. Note this. Paul's second strategy is to strengthen the church. Strengthen the church. So it's kind of obvious you're going to have to go to the unreached cities, but I want you to see what he does next because what Paul does next is a significant shift in the strategy. Look at what happens, verse 21. Okay, Uh, here they are. They're in the city of Derby. They're preaching the gospel, and when many people had come to Christ, verse 21, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Let's get, our, let's get our map back up there. I just want you to see this because here's what's happening with Paul. He comes all the way down to Derby, and the text says then he goes back to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, all the cities where he had just come from to preach the gospel, which, man, that was a bold and dangerous move, knowing there's some people there that want to kill you. Why would he do that? Why does Paul go back to these cities? Well, it's because Paul realized that these cities were in danger of these Judaizers, these Jews that hate Christ, coming in and messing up all the work that they just got started there. He realized that these new believers were vulnerable. And so he goes back to these cities, and and look why why he does that. Verse 22, uh, here's why he goes back. He says, he was strengthening the souls of the disciples. The Greek word means to to prop up, to, to hold them up and support them. He's making sure that they don't get knocked down, they don't get blown away. From here on out, Paul's new strategy, after preaching the gospel and seeing souls come to Christ, he's gonna gather these believers together in a local church. He's church planting. That, that's it, I'm going to gather, the, you came to Christ, now you guys are a church, and he's going to get these people together, and he's going to strengthen this church through teaching them. They need the word of God, and they need encouragement here, because it's through many tribulations that we're going to enter the kingdom of God. That's normal. So I want you to see this. This is why we plant churches instead of just trying to evangelize as many people as possible. Because we don't need a whole bunch of rogue Christians out there that, 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 that believed and said they came to Christ, but they don't belong to a church. Like, I don't need that. I, it's just me and Jesus, man. I've got my relationship with Christ. I don't really need that. That's not God's plan. God's plan is in the, in the Great Commission. He says that we would make disciples of all nations, Jesus says, baptizing them. That means we're baptizing them into a church. That's an outward profession of faith being uh, baptized and entering into a local community of believers and then teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. We saw this last week that, that, that God has given in Ephesians 4, God has given the pastors, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. These people need to be taught. This is why 
Paul doesn't just go on an evangelistic crusade and try to get as many people to pray a prayer and, and walk an aisle and sign a card and then tally up the numbers and move on without doing any follow-up. Not that evangelistic events don't have a place, but this is how we see the early church carrying out the Great Commission because they realized that church planting is Jesus' intention. It's the goal of missions. This is how we make disciples through the worldwide multiplication of churches. Think about it. Once, once you preach the gospel, what do, what do new believers need? They need a church. They need a church that's going to strengthen them, that's going to teach them and encourage them and equip them. I think about Harvest Fairfax. We're a church plant. Because somebody had a vision for Northern Virginia. But not just for new converts. I mean, they could have come and done some evangelistic event and tried to reach as many people as possible all at one time. But because they planted a church, here we are, six years later, still making disciples, helping them mature and grow in Christ and multiply and sending them out. And do you just, do you just see the long-lasting impact that that has on this community and around the world? I, I think about it like, like, like a, if you could just see a, a big, giant puzzle, a, a, globe, a, a picture of the globe of the map, all right? You, you've, you've got this, uh, maybe it's a 100,000-piece uh, puzzle you're looking at. We're just a little piece of that puzzle. But everything that you do here to help this church grow, whether it's through evangelism, whether it's through discipling somebody, helping them follow Jesus, whether it's serving in the church, all of that is a part of the global work of missions and strategic church planting. Isn't that cool? So you are a part of something way bigger than yourself and something that will outlast your lifetime. So help us strengthen the church so that we can grow in maturity and that we can multiply together. Got that? Going in to preach the gospel, strengthen the church, and then, then here's the third. Here's the third element. Note this. He comes to appoint elders. Verse 23 this is when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. You have to understand, Paul's not stopping. Like, like there, there's other places i got to go. God has called him to go and keep reaching more unreached people groups. But he realizes that these local churches that he just planted need somebody to take care of them. And so out of love for them and because he cares for them, he doesn't want them to get messed up in this. He appoints elders over them. Do you see this strategy? Here's how we do it. We go right into those strategic cities. We preach the gospel. And as people are coming to Christ, we gather them together. You're a church now. And we want to strengthen the church and the teaching of the word of God and appoint elders to watch over them. Elders are shepherds to watch over and protect God's people. Just a few chapters later in Acts chapter 20, Paul is standing on a beach and he's getting ready to get on a boat because I got more places to go, more people that need to be reached, but he's standing on this beach in Acts chapter 20 with the elders of the church in Ephesus. Guys, I'm getting ready to go. I need you here. 
Here's what he says to them, Acts chapter 20. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit did that, by the way. That's why they did it in prayer and fasting. Because it's God's the one who's going to call them. God calls these elders to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Hebrews 13, 17 tells you to obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I just want you to help, help you understand that, that it is so important that we have the right men who are overseeing the church as God's design, charged to care and to watch over you. So here's how this works here at Harvest Fairfax. We're not a big church, I get that, but we're big enough that three of us can't know everything that's going on in your lives, but we're responsible for that, and, and we do care. And uh, so this is why we constantly beat the drum of small groups. And we've entrusted some of that to these small group couples to, to help lead and care and, and to do some of this shepherding work. And, and uh, just so you know, all of our small group leaders once a month are writing a shepherding report. And they're not like sharing all the nitty-gritty details of your life. That's not what this is for. But, but they're letting us know how you're doing. And then the elders, once a month, we get those together. And we, go, we go through those shepherding reports because we want to know, like, how, how's that going? Are they, are they doing okay? What's, what's going on there? Like, can, can, can we help them? Is there something we could do? They need a little bit of extra love and care. Are they, are they growing? We just, listen, listen. You are loved here. We care about you. And we want to help you grow. It's so important that as the elders, our responsibility is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. We want you all to grow. This builds up the body of Christ until we all attain to the uh, measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. We want to be more like Jesus, and we want everybody to be maturing. But it also means that the elders are to be equipping and developing leaders. As Paul tells us, 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, there's a responsibility that we are teaching and passing these things on, knowing, hey, there's a, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And we need some of you to go and to carry this out. We're passing these things on, instilling the DNA of a worshiping and sending church into others who will be able to help see this multiply. It's a big job, and I want to ask you to pray for your elders. You pray for us as we get after this, as we pray for you. We love what God is doing in and through this church. And I can't wait to see what's next for us. But we're going to get after what God's word says. We're going to go with his plan. And church planting is God's strategy for fulfilling the Great Commission. I'm going to pray that God is working in your heart to move you to see that and see how he would have you be a part of it. Father, I thank you for giving us your church and I thank you that you allow us to be a part of this mission with you. We certainly don't deserve that. And so uh, we give you praise for your grace to us. And God, you've got to give us some confidence in you that, that this is right. And when we follow your lead, you're the one that is building your church. And we have the confidence that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it.
so that we already have the guarantee that there's victory and that more people are going to be reached with the gospel. Lord, I pray that that would burden our hearts. I pray that, that, that those, that, just thinking about somebody, somebody right now, they, if they wanted to, they don't have access to a Bible. They've never heard the name of Jesus. They don't know what it looks like to be a part of a church, a community of believers that love one another and care for one another and have purpose in life. God, would you motivate us to go, to pray, to give, to invest in what you are doing here and around the world. We'll trust that you're going to build your church and that you will get all the glory for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray.